Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Daniel chapter 9 for this morning's message and for our time together today. I have an honest confession to make today, and that is this. I was not planning to preach this message today. In fact, a few months ago, whenever I kind of prayed through and mapped out the sermon series on fearless faith that we've been looking at, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, my original plan is that the sermon series would end at the very last Sunday of February, we would end at the end of Daniel chapter 6, the historical portion of the book, and, and then we would probably pick up the latter chapters of Daniel uh, in Bible prophecy part 2. You know, many of you were part of the Bible prophecy class this past fall because the majority of the rest of Daniel is all about, it's all about Bible prophecy and what God's doing in the end times. And so it'd make a great segue into that. I was planning to end there. But as I prepared last week's message and really was wrestling with the passage and wrestling with God, what God was doing, it became loud and clear that God was leading us one step further. So today, we're going to have our final sermon from the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And as we look there, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, what God is looking for today. What God is looking for today Many of us live our life focused on, frankly, what we are looking for. After all, we go to the store and we're looking for a certain garment or a certain uh, shoe or a certain thing. We're looking for something that we like, something that's comfortable to us. We turn on the radio and we'll flip the stations because we're, we're trying to find something that we are looking for that we like. Even in the context of going to maybe to a church, we'll go to a church and we're looking for a certain style of music or a certain style of preacher, you know, somebody to wear a tie occasionally. I don't know, you may not find that here very much, but we, we find ourselves looking for the things that we want, that we, that we, even if you go to a restaurant today after the services, you're gonna go based upon what you are looking for and what you want. But, but I believe in our moment right now, today, as a church, for the body of Christ, God is saying loud and clear in our culture in 2021, right now as we stand, God is saying to us, there are some things he's looking for. And I wonder today, in our lives, in this church, in our homes, if God's going to find what he's looking for as he looks at us. So see, the reality is somebody asks, well, why do we study this book of Daniel? I mean, this was written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. But here's the reality. The same God that was working in Daniel's day is working in our day. The same God that heard Daniel's prayer can hear our prayer. The same God that moved miraculously in so many ways in the book of Daniel can still work and move in miraculous ways today. The same God who was in control, regardless of what was happening politically and governmentally in that day, is still the same God today. And I believe this same God is calling us to action well, what are those actions? I, we ended last week with talking about how we can partner with God and his work in the world, and we talked about how Daniel did that. But one of the chief characteristics of Daniel's life and one of the chief ways he partnered with God is that Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel chapter two, impossible situation. What does he do? He looks to God in the midst of his impossible situation. God intervenes and God does the impossible. Daniel chapter six, he's told he can't pray to God. He can't pray in God's name at all. What does he do? He goes to his room. He opens the windows towards Jerusalem. And there again, just like he'd done three times a day for decades, he prays and talks to God. In Daniel chapter nine, God does something really cool. Because as I'm studying Daniel's life, I'm like, man, what was it about Daniel that caused him to stand out what was it about Daniel that really caused God to get a hold of his life and to work it in such an incredible way? If God could work through Daniel that way, how could God work in that way today? What was it about Daniel that really just made him different? And in Daniel chapter 9, God kind of opens the curtain, so to speak. He kind of raises the window and lets us in on Daniel's prayer life. What does a servant of God living in a pagan land in a world and a culture that's largely rejecting God, what should we be praying for? What should our private devotion look like to God when we live in the midst of a land that's largely rejecting God? 
And God answers those questions here in Daniel chapter 9 as we see the statement, what God is looking for today. I want to ask you if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're going to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. The Bible says this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord, listen to the key statement, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, how many years? 70 years. That's very important. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed sin and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. For righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away, and all the countries to which you've driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers. Key word, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Verse 11, indeed, all of Israel, not a single one of us untouched, all of Israel, has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. As it's written in the law of Moses, of the Lord our God, by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let not your anger, or let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all of those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. Key statement. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. God, as I consider the words that Daniel prayed in humility before you, these words are very heavy. These words are very sobering. And God, in many ways, I think it's so heavy and so sober, not only because of what he prayed, but because if we were to take those words and bring them into our own life and context today, we would find they are every bit as applicable and appropriate. God, I pray today for your children that you would give us a holy humility and brokenness over our sin. God, I pray that we would not look in arrogance or disdain at our country, but instead we would look in brokenness and humility asking for your forgiveness in this land. And we'll pray it all for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. What God is looking for today. 
You know, one of the dangers sometimes in studying some of these great hearers of the Old Testament, like that of Daniel, is that it can be easy for us to kind of put them on such a, a high platform, a high stool, so to speak, that we could look at these heroes and come to the conclusion that we could never measure up. We could never be like Daniel, such firm in conviction. We could never be like Daniel, standing against the pressures and the tide of the culture, so to speak. We could never be like a Daniel, experiencing these incredible signs and wonders and miracles of God. But I'm reminded today, just like I am throughout all the Old Testament, that the greatness of the story is not in the perfection of the characters, but in the perfection and the holiness and the power of God. In other words, it's not so much a book about Daniel as much as it is about the greatness of God, that God delights in having relationship with us, that God delights in working in our life, that God delights in working through our lives as we surrender to him and trust him. The fact of the matter is today is that anytime you look throughout the Old Testament, we begin to see, we begin to see loud and clear, it seems like, from book to book and from story to story, that God can do incredible things in and through the life of just one individual who is willing to trust him to do the impossible. Exodus 32, Numbers 14, we learn situations where the Israelites, their back was against the wall, they were in a hopeless situation, but Moses would intervene. And when Moses would pray, God would do the impossible. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we learn that there was a drought in the land. For over three years, people had been dying right and left, but one righteous man by the name of Elijah prayed and he sought the face of God, and God brought the rain and the floods that came. All throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded about the importance of just one person who is willing to seek God to do the impossible in prayer. You may be only one, but one faithful, humble servant praying to the living God of heaven can make all the difference in the world. James 5.16 says it this way, the effective prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man, can accomplish much. So never underestimate what God can do through just one person mighty in prayer. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, God doesn't have to wait for the entire nation to repent and cry out for mercy. He will start to work when he hears the believing prayer of one faithful intercessor. Can I say to you loud and clear today, God is looking for some intercessors. God is looking for some prayer warriors. God is looking for some men and some women, some teenagers, some boys and some girls. He's looking for some who will be willing in their faith to look to him, to surrender to him, and to believe him for the impossible. Second Chronicles says it this way, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. The eyes of the Lord, he's looking to and fro, looking for his children, looking for those whose heart are completely surrendered to him, whose heart is completely focused on him, whose heart is completely willing to believe that he can do the impossible. I believe one of the saddest verses of the entire Bible, certainly of the Old Testament, is found in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22. The Bible tells us because of sin and largely because of compromises and complacency, God's people were not in a good place. But God desired to heal and God desired to forgive and God desired to do an incredible work, a revival amongst his people. And so just like 2 Chronicles said, his eyes were searching to and fro, trying to find someone. Listen to the sad conclusion of Ezekiel 22 verse 30. I searched for a man among them who would build the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But listen to the final words. God says this, but I found no one. But I found no one. Can I just say to you, ladies and gentlemen, specifically brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is looking for some men and women to stand in the gap for your home. God is looking for some men and women to stand in the gap in your neighborhood. God is looking for some men and women to stand in the gap in this church. God is looking for some men and women to stand in the gap in this commonwealth of Virginia. And by God's grace and for his glory, he's looking for some men and some women who will stand in the, the gap in this nation. My question is this. Will he find one in you? 
Well, what does standing in the gap look like when you live in a fallen, broken world in a culture that seems completely focused on going their own direction and rejecting and neglecting God? How do we stand in the gap in a culture that wants nothing to do with God? I believe from Daniel's illustration, we see how. See, the secret to Daniel's prayer life is not that he prayed only in times of emergency and crisis. That's easy to do, right? You leave here today, you get pulled over by a police officer. I guarantee you, many of you are going to start praying immediately, right? Circumstance comes, oh, God, help me now. It's easy to pray when we see various things that we want and easily like a child getting to the, the give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. Sometimes our prayer life looks more like an Amazon shopping cart. Right? Like we pray like we just pulled up to McDonald's and we're wanting all the value stuff, okay? Like, give it to me fast and cheap. Just, I just want, you know. And I believe what God is wanting us to see is this. Christian, 2021, in our world and in our land today, here's how you stand in the gap. You stand in the gap by being a prayer warrior who is repentant over the sins in your life and the sins in our land. What does that look like? Three things I want you to see from Daniel chapter nine. Number one, I want you to see the basis of repentant prayer. The basis of repentant prayer. We need to hear this loud and clear today. The basis of repentant prayer Repentant prayer tells us why Daniel prayed and what led him to praying in this moment. See, see, it would have been easy for Daniel in this moment to look at his situation and frankly give up. It would have been easy for him to look at this situation and think, you know what, I'm in this circumstance, I've been here for over six decades. That's a long time, folks. I mean, six months seems like an eternity to me. Six decades? In fact, we know today, historically, it had been 67 years they had been in Babylon. It'd be easy for him to be in this situation and think, you know what, I don't see my circumstance changing. I don't see any hope in the midst of this. I don't see any way out of this. It would be easy for him to look and say, man, we, we have blown it. We have messed up. That We are getting what we deserve. There's no way God could ever do anything in this situation. It's a hopeless mess. But that's not what he did. Daniel wholeheartedly, passionately, faithfully sought God. And I believe he did so for two specific reasons. Number one, the basis of this repentant prayer was the promises of God. He prayed because he believed the promise of God. Many people who don't have a faithful prayer life demonstrate by their prayerlessness that they don't truly believe the promises of God. Well, how, what were God's promises? Interesting statement. The Bible tells us here in Daniel chapter nine, verse two, it was the first year of the reign of Darius, that he learned something. He observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, what does this mean specifically? Here's what it means. The Bible tells us, and we understand historically, that Jeremiah, remember the prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, some of these guys' contemporaries, Jeremiah the prophet wrote his letter, wrote his book in the final years before Jerusalem was captured. In fact, when Daniel was hauled off to Babylon, Jeremiah was also captured in Jerusalem and he was hauled off to Egypt. But before this happened, he wrote this book called the book of Jeremiah. Whenever Daniel and his buddies went to Babylon as captives, they had the letter of Jeremiah. They had God's word through the prophet Jeremiah and he was reading it and he was studying it. And in the process of that, he came to understand something. God said we were gonna be taken captive but we're not gonna be here forever. We're only gonna be here for 70 years. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 12. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? 70 years. Then it will be 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity, the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Now here's Daniel. He's been living in Babylon for 67 years. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out 70 minus 67 is? I know that's hard to do math this early in the morning, okay, folks? But yeah, 70 minus 67 is three. So Daniel's in this moment. He reads God's word. He believes God's word. And he hears the promise. The promise is this. 
I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you free. But Daniel, recognizing God's power, also realizes the invitation to be a part. And so Daniel partners with God as he's praying. Why? Because he's believing the promise of God that God is going to deliver them. Let me further illustrate that. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, many of us have quoted this verse of scripture. We love this verse of scripture. Some of us have it on a plaque in our, in our living room or in our office without even realizing the context. Listen to this, Jeremiah 29, verse one. This is what Jeremiah says. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to who? Babylon, that's right. Jeremiah is writing these words from God directly for the exiles in Babylon. Listen to verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Verse 11, key verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Haven't you ever quoted those verses of scripture before? Thank God for his plan. Thank God for his purpose. Thank God for his promise. The context is dealing with the Jews that were in captivity in Babylon. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Listen to this. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Please understand, Daniel's studying the book of Jeremiah and he's hearing the promise of God. And the promise of God leads him to pray in faith. It leads him to pray in confidence. It leads him to pray in assurance. And it leads him to pray in brokenness. God, forgive us for what we've done. So, man, I just wish God would give me a promise like that. I wish I had a promise like that that said, hey, you, buddy, hey, you by name, here's my word for you. Can I say to you, it may not be as direct in that context, but can I just say to you, God has given you his promises. All of his promises are yes and amen, which means they will be fulfilled. He will accomplish them. All of his promises are in his word. If we just get in his word, hear what God is speaking and what God is saying, I'm telling you, it will impact and influence and completely change the way you live and the way that you pray. The basis of this repentant prayer is believing the promise of God. God's going to deliver us. Secondly, the basis of his prayer ultimately is in the person of God. And when I say the person of God, what I'm meaning is this. Daniel knew they had messed up. Daniel knew they didn't deserve anything. No, no. He's simply trusting the character, the faithfulness, and the mercy of God. Notice what he says. He says, I gave attention to the Lord my God to seek him by prayer, supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed and said, oh, Lord, the great and awesome God, meaning, God, you're the living God of heaven. There's no one like you. You have all power and all authority. There's nothing you can't do. And he goes on, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. God, I know we don't deserve it, so I don't come on the basis of my name. I don't come on the basis of anything I've done, but I come merely on the basis that you are a God of relationship and you are a God of love. And even though you are just in your judgment, I believe you to be a God of compassion and a God of mercy and a God who can move even though we don't deserve it. It's on the basis of God's promise and on the basis of God's person that Daniel comes to pray and seek the mercy of God. Which brings me to a second point, and that is this. What is God looking for? He's looking for someone who's going to come into him in prayer on the basis of his promises and on the basis of who he is. But secondly, I want you to see this. I want you to see the brokenness that is expressed in repentant prayer. The brokenness that is expressed in repentant prayer. When I use the word brokenness here, I'm referring specifically to the sense of being grieved, saddened, and even mourning over sin. What I want you to see here is that Daniel did not have a flippant attitude towards sin. Daniel didn't say, oh, we've we, we messed up again. Sorry about that, God. Hope it works out better next time. Daniel didn't condone the actions of God's people. He didn't kind of turn a blind eye. He didn't sweep them under the rug, no. He was broken and grieved over the sins in his own life and certainly the sins in his own land. Can I say to you today that this idea of grieving and mourning 
and being broken over sin goes completely against the cultural voices of our day. In our day-to-day, frankly, we live in a culture that is largely trying to redefine and revise everything that God has declared. In our culture today, our culture is largely saying, the world is saying, what's right for you is right. But that's a lie from the enemy. The fact of the matter is what's right is what God has declared. When God has said, thus says the Lord, that's how we determine what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. And we see in our culture today in so many different contexts, whether that's dealing with, with marriage itself, whether that's dealing with the context of sexuality, whether that's dealing with the, 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 the preciousness of life and we deal with the issues of abortion. There are so many different areas in our life today where we are redefining and revising and changing because after all, we don't want anyone to feel bad. And to be clear, while it is not our responsibility to be criticizing and condemning and judgmental, please understand the truth of God's word and the presence of the Holy Spirit should bring conviction when there is sin. I I don't like to feel that feeling of guilt when I've sinned, but I'm thankful by God's grace that I often experience it when I sin. Because in that guilt, God is giving an opportunity to make me aware that I have sinned, that I have stepped out of bounds, that I have done wrong. And as a result, I need to come back to him to be made right with him. The fact of the matter is today, Daniel expressed a brokenness over sin that very few of us, even in the church, understand today. Certainly that very few of us apply. See, the fact of the matter is today is that when we sin, we do need a sorrow that leads us to repentance. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and there were many things that were sinful matters. They were wrong. They were sins against God. They were completely inappropriate. And God led the Apostle Paul to write direct. I mean, he didn't didn't sugarcoat it. He called out situations. And in 2 Corinthians, when he comes back to them, listen to what he said. He says this. He says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you are made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you are made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So what does this repentant prayer look like? I'll tell you three things from the text. Number one, repentant prayer changes our conduct. Repentant prayer changes our conduct. Now, many people are remorseful over sin, right? I think about that illustration. I think about the illustration of my children. The Lord has blessed my wife and I with four children. And there have certainly been times, whether they were young or even um, in their teenage years now, right? Please pray for us. I'm getting old. But anyway, there are moments that a child does something wrong. And, and, and honestly, for, for many of my children, I can just speak their name in a, in a certain stern voice or you know, different tone. And instantly, they're remorseful. And many times a child will say, I'm sorry. But many times that I'm sorry just means I don't want any other consequence, right? I'm in trouble, but I don't want to have to go to my room. I'm in trouble, but I don't want to take my video game time away. I'm in trouble, but I don't want to experience this situation. Repentance is more than just remorse. Repentance is an acknowledgement of what's been done wrong and a turning from that action. We see that with Daniel. Daniel gives us this outward kind of progression of what was taking place in his life. Here's what he says. He's literally, I gave attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer. That phrase, I gave attention to the Lord, means this. It means I put aside all the distractions. I put my focus completely on God. Can I just say to you, it's an appropriate response when we are getting serious about sin and not being flippant about it, that we turn off the TV, we turn off all the outside noise, all the white noise of these other things, we put them aside and we focus on God. That's what he's doing. He's turning attention to the Lord, towards the Lord to seek him by prayer and to seek him by supplications. That word supplications literally means he's recognizing that the living God of heaven is on the throne of heaven, that he sees and knows all things, the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the evil and all these, he sees it all. And so he comes before the throne of God to make supplications. He comes before God with fasting. In other words, even the most basic simple pleasures, even of that of food, he's putting these things aside, not simply to be right with God, but as an outward expression of what was already happening in his heart. He's broken over the sins in his life and his land, so he comes before God in fasting, and he continues on with sackcloth. Now, this would not be appealing to us today, but many of the times in the Old Testament, when there was a season of mourning 
or an inner turmoil in their life, they would put on sackcloth. It was a very coarse garment made of goat hair. Now, I don't want to be graphic here, but you can only imagine the amount of friction that would bring as you're wearing it around town, okay? The idea here is that it was an outward expression of the inner turmoil of their heart. And then he says sackcloth and ashes. When they were mourning and grieving the loss of a loved one or grieving some situation, they would take ashes and put them on the ground and they would sit in them. In other words, this is an outward sign of a man who's broken. He's in turmoil. He is grieving over the sins in his life and the sins in his land. Repentant prayer changes our conduct. This is not flippant. This is not carelessness. This is not him having a hard heart, being callous. No, he's broken over the sins in his life and in his land. Can I just say to us today, if we have a clear understanding of what our sin is and what it cost Jesus on the cross, it should bring us this same sort of brokenness. I'm not saying you got to wear sackcloth, put some ashes in the backyard. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the posture of our heart should simply be, our sin led Jesus to the cross. Our sin grieves the heart of God. And those things that that do grieve the heart of God should grieve the heart of a child of God. Daniel was in that place of brokenness. Which led into a second thing, and that is this. Repentant prayer confesses sin. Repentant prayer confesses sin. Please understand that Daniel did not make excuses for God's people. Daniel could have been so easy in this situation because we understand that Daniel was a man of great conviction and a man of great integrity. Daniel could have looked and said, God, look at all these people, these people that have bore your name, these people that grew up hearing your law, these people that were raised. Look at what all they're doing, God. Look at their sins against you. Look at the king's meat and the wine that they've been drinking and getting drunk off of. God, look at all the compromises. God, look at all the idolatry of these people. God, look at all the different things these horrible people have done. That's not what Daniel does. Daniel's not being holier than thou. Daniel's not looking down with arrogance and judgment and saying, how could they do that? Daniel's not even looking at the kings and the political parties of the day and saying, oh God, it's their fault. Look at how they led us. Look at the rules they made. Look at the legislatures they had. Look at their decrees. Look at what they demanded. Look at all these wicked things they've done not what Daniel does. Why? Remember, Daniel was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And being filled with the Holy Spirit meant, in this context, that Daniel walked in great humility. Notice what the scripture says. Verse 5, God, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. See, in this moment, Daniel's acting in such humility that literally he's looking at his own life and he's looking within his own conscience and he's realizing, God, even I have fallen short. As I live in the midst of this pagan land with all these pagan laws, I too have been impacted. I too have been influenced. There have been areas where I've compromised. There have been areas where I haven't done right. And so here he comes and he's looking at the people and he's not focused on all their wrongs. He's including himself. God, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We've gone our own way. We've rebelled against you like a two-year-old child going their own direction. God, we've been guilty. I'm guilty. Moreover, God, you spoke. God, when we were back in Jerusalem, you gave us prophet after prophet, opportunity after opportunity, sermon after sermon, year after year to repent and get right with you. But God, we rejected them all. God, we sinned against you. Daniel in his brokenness understood that his actions and the actions of God's people were a sin against God. Can, can I just ask you a question today? Do you think when God looks at 
our nation today that God is pleased. Maybe the more sobering question for us today to consider is this. Do you think when God looks at the big C church today that God is pleased? And maybe the more personal question that we've got to consider is this. When God looks in my home, in my life, your home, in your life, is God pleased? See, Daniel didn't separate himself from the culture and the world in which he lived. He looked in his own heart and life and he realized, God, we have sinned against you. And because we have sinned against you, he comes to the conclusion in verse 16. Listen to this. Because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to those around us. I want you to see a third thing about that repentant prayer, and that is this. Repentant prayer accepts the consequences. This is not Daniel trying to say, oh, God, spare us from this messy situation. This is not Daniel saying, God, you were unjust to do this. God, you weren't right to bring about these consequences. This is not Daniel saying, God, how could you allow this to happen? It's amazing how often we can blame God for things that are oftentimes the consequences of our own actions. Daniel accepts it. In fact, you could look at verses 7 through 16, and you can see over and over again, Daniel says, God... We have become an open shame. In other words, God, you you called us as your chosen people, as your children. You called us to be a light to the Gentiles. You called us to be the means by which you would take the truth of who you are and the truth of your love and the truth of your compassion throughout the entire world. God, this was your calling and your purpose of us. You have a covenant relationship with us. But in that covenant... You also declared that if we rejected you and disobeyed you and went our own direction, that we would experience the consequences of those actions. And God, we rejected you. Our hearts were cold towards you. We were indifferent. We were callous. We were complacent. And God, as a result, we've become an open shame. You got a a picture. God's chosen people. Even the holy city, Jerusalem, where the temple had been built, the temple at this point had been completely destroyed. Jerusalem was a laughingstock at this moment. The Jews were scattered throughout all the ancient world in this moment. I I mean, so much of a ridicule were they. Remember just a few chapters ago in the book of Daniel, we understood in Daniel chapter 5, the very objects that were meant to worship God in that temple were taken out and used as means to get drunk. Daniel's looking and saying, God, you called us to be a light. But because of our sin, we're no longer the light that you've called us to be. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. Man, Daniel in this moment is so broken over the sins in his life and the sins in his land that he's not passing the buck, he's not excusing it, he's not condoning it, he's not sweeping it. He's literally saying, God, I, I get it. We're getting what we deserve. He's accepting the consequences. Third thing I want you to see about repentant prayer is this. I want you to see the belief that is expressed in repentant prayer. You know, if you hear this message at this point, it's heavy, isn't it? Like, man, it's heavy. I've sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Like, like we hear that and we, we see in this moment, like Daniel's fully understanding, we've sinned against you, we've rebelled against you, we've done our own thing, and we are getting what we deserve. And, and it would be easy in that moment to just say, well, that's it. We're just going to wallow in our sackcloth and ashes for the rest of our days. Please don't do that, by the way. Don't wear sackcloth to church next Sunday. I mean, and literally, it'd be easy in those situations in, in our marriages or in our homes. It'd be easy on the situations in our land where so many different compromises and things like that. It'd be easy to say, well, that's it. We'll just throw up our hands and hope for the best and see how we can get along. But Daniel believed something so powerful about God that frankly made all the difference in the world, not only in his life, but in his land. He believed two things, and I believe they're revealed in verses 17. Through 19. Number one, he believed in God's grace. 
He believed in God's grace. He believed that the living God of heaven would show grace to all who would turn from their sin and turn to him. Now, we've already seen that. I mean, was it not Daniel who's already stood before the king and he's literally said in Daniel chapter four, break away from your sins. Stop sinning now and depend upon the mercy of God. God can forgive you. God can redeem you. God can intervene. Well, what does Daniel pray? Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you. Listen, on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Verse 19, O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive. See, the challenge in, in the culture that we battle with at times, even in the context of the church, is that we're taught we can do it. You can get free of this addiction. You can change. You can be who you want to be. You can do all these different things. But what God is showing us is it's not about us. The power is not within us. The power is within him. We need him. We rely upon him. And what God is wanting us to see in this context is it is in God's grace that God can forgive and that God can pardon and that God can show his compassion in our life. Daniel's saying, God, we don't deserve your forgiveness. We did sin against you. We did violate your law. We did look at your truth and we said, we're gonna do what we wanna do. We're gonna redefine it and go our own direction. We're getting what we deserve. But God, we believe that you are a God of mercy and because of your compassion and because of your grace, because we don't deserve it, we come looking to you, God, asking that you will forgive us. The word forgiveness here meaning cancel the debt against us that we owe. He believed that God was a God of grace. Can I just say to us today that Daniel did not have the fullness of God's inspired word. He didn't have the New Testament like we have today. But can I just remind you of that little promise that's so powerful and so big in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. I don't know if God could forgive me. I don't know that God could set me free. I don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've been with. I don't know. But God knows it all. And God's promise is if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's his promise to you. Daniel believed God's grace. And finally, Daniel believed in God's glory. Daniel looked at this hopeless, messy, ugly crazy situation and basically said this, God, I don't know how. I don't know when. But I believe you can bring beauty from the ashes. Here's how he says it in verse 17. Now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. What does he say in verse 18? This city God is called by your name. We're not making any supplications of kind of our own merits, but on account of your great compassion. Verse 19, so listen and take action for your own sake, oh my God. Do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Here's in essence what he's saying. He's saying, God, we've made a mess of all of this. But because you are God, and with you, all things are possible. Because you have all power and all authority. Because you delight in taking messes and making masterpieces. Because you delight in taking the ugliness of sin and creating something beautiful for your glory. Because you delight in taking that which is dead and lifeless and that which is of a, of a grave. You delight in taking that and making something glorious and something good and something that brings glory and honor to you. God, on the basis of your glory, for your name's sake, I come and I ask you to forgive us. Change us. And do a mighty work that brings glory and honor to you. Notice what Daniel's not praying. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about my nation. No, here's what he says. God, for your sake, will you work 
in and through your people. I want to close with just a few final thoughts. First, if you're here today and there is sin in your life that you have not confessed and repented of, if you're here today, you've never believed in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I just want you to hear loud and clear from me. There is nothing that God cannot forgive you of. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died for every sin that you'd ever commit. And if you believe in him, turn from your sin and turn to him, you will experience his forgiveness and his salvation. It's an incredible promise of God's word. Some say, but pastor, I'm a believer. I'm already a follower of Jesus and I've still struggled and I've still gone to these situations. I knew better the promise of God. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God didn't give an asterisk of all the exceptions there. He said all unrighteousness. So, so that's the first final takeaway. Second final thought is this. I'm gonna do something mean. I hope you'll forgive me later, Okay. There's this little thing called grace, so I hope you'll show it to me. I'm going to do something mean. Daniel pours out his heart to God in prayer. And here's the mean thing. I'm not going to tell you how the story ends. You can go read the rest of the book of Daniel. You can study a little bit of Old Testament. You can even Google probably this afternoon and find out what happened after Daniel prayed this prayer of repentance and see how God worked and moved and what he did. So I'm not going to tell you how it ended. But here's the reason why I'm not going to tell you. I kind of want to leave it hanging a little bit. It's for this reason. Today in 2021, I'm not saying that what God did in and through Daniel's life is unimportant. But I am saying it's not the most important thing right now. I think the most important thing right now, please hear me, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is this. Right now, in 2021, this day this age right now. God is looking for some Daniels, some men and some women who will be intercessors, prayer warriors, fully devoted to him that will stand in the gap. So here's my question. Who is standing in the gap in your home? Who's standing in the gap in your dorm and on your campus? Who's standing in the gap in your neighborhood? Who's standing in the gap in this church? Who's standing in the gap in this commonwealth and in this nation? Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And the sobering conclusion in Ezekiel's day was God said, and I found none. My hope and prayer today is that if you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and today you're still dealing with sin, today will be the day you repent of and experience God's grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. But my second prayer today is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has called us for a time such as this to stand in the gap and to be found faithful like Daniel was in his own day. Will you be faithful? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. God, we confess, I confess, that we have sinned against you. Lord, as I look at our nation, as I look about our constant redefining, revising, changing this and that, we can try to do all these different things, but nothing can change what you have already declared. Your word stands, it's final, and we're gonna stand before you and give an account accordingly. And so God, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, the ways that we've compromised in each of our own lives, the ways that we've been complacent, the ways that we've been cold spiritually and have missed the urgency of the moment, the ways that we've heard your word or we've heard a message or we've heard the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we knew you were calling us to action, but we, we put it off to later, we put it off to later, we put it off to later to find that later never even came. 
God, we can learn a great deal, not only from history, but specifically from your people and how you worked and moved amongst Daniel's day. So God, I pray today that we would not be flippant, that we would not be careless or callous about sin, but instead that we would be humbled, we'd be broken, and that we in our lives and then even in our land, we would experience your mercies and your grace. God, we need you. God, I ask you to forgive us for the ways that we put our hope in political parties and in candidates. God, forgive us for the ways that we've even put our hope in pastors and leaders and people on platforms. God, forgive us for the ways that we have looked for cheap substitutes. God, our greatest need is you. God, I pray today, I pray today that we as a people would be humbled and broken before you. It's easy to be amazed by how you worked in and through Daniel's life and and feel like that was so long ago that it would almost seem irrelevant. But you are still God and you still have all power and you're still working and moving and your promises are still as true today as they were then. So God, for your name's sake, not, not for the sake of us as a country, not for the sake of us as a name of a church, but God, for your name's sake, would you forgive us and cleanse us? God, we confess in our lives and in our land, we have made a mess of a lot of things. In our sin and in our compromises, we've made a mess of a lot of things. So God, we turn to you. And I pray that in these situations that you would bring beauty, that you would take these ashes and bring something glorious for your namesake. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.